everybody, and welcome to the Money Made Easy podcast. Every week, we will catch up with all things money, honey. It's your hosts, Angelica and Tisha. We're coming to you anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also follow along with us on Instagram at Money Made Easy Podcast and also on our website at MoneyMadeEasyPodcast.com. We'll be talking all things money, earning it, saving it, and investing it in the easiest way possible. Our goal is to educate, uplift, and empower you to feel confident in your financial decisions. Now, you may be asking yourselves, are you both money experts? (laughs) Heck no, not even close. We're far from it. We will be bringing on some of the best experts in the biz to set you up for success. Now, on to this week's show. All right, everyone. Today on the show, we have the amazing Tanya Rapley, founder of MyFab Finance. She is a millennial money expert, helping millennials break the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck so that you can live free and do more of what you love. She's an entrepreneur, a wife, mother, domestic violence survivor, and citizen of the world, and author of The Money Manual. So let's welcome Tanya to the show. Hello. Hi, guys. Hi. So great to have you join us today. Thank you. to be here. Thank you. Let's uh, dive in. And if you could go ahead and share uh, your background as far as growing up, your background with money, and then how you came to create and found MyFeb Finance and how you got into that. Just the, you know, basically your life story. (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, I mean, my background is um, I grew up, my parents are both military, so I grew up in a military household, which meant that there was a certain level of security um, that was Mm -hmm. part of my childhood and which was great, but also kind of clouded my perception of what it meant to be an adult because um, there were just things that were a given growing up that when I became an adult, I was like, oh, wait, I have to pay for my own health insurance and mm-hmm. wait, retirement. I have to put money into a retirement plan because I'm not going to get it automatically yeah. and so forth. And also my parents, um, because we lived such a stable life and my parents knew that they would be okay in retirement and so forth, they didn't really prioritize saving or putting money aside for retirement because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're in the military, you know, if you're going to lose your job, it's not like you walk into work and you know, you're the, you get let go. You, you just yeah. know if you're at risk of um, being discharged. And so uh, that kind of, set me up for a rude awakening when I entered the workforce on my own. I graduated from college in 2008, 2007, um, and the recession happened, or they acknowledged the existence of the recession the following year. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up losing my first two jobs out of college. And that's when I was like, wait a minute. Okay. (laughs) This is why people have emergency funds because Mm -hmm. you're not in the military, Tanya. You work in the public and private sector and you can lose your job at any given time. And so then I started creating programming for um, low-income women at Mm -hmm. one of my jobs that I was able to um, secure living in New York City, and I was creating financial education programming. And a light bulb went off for me, and it's like, hey, you don't have it all together. Like, You need to get your finances together. You've been ignoring this for way too long. Mm -hmm. That's when I decided to create a blog to document my journey to become more financially secure, more financially um, literate. And that blog is MyFab Finance. And here we are almost seven years later um, mm-hmm. with a 
company and uh, it's just it's insane it's <laughs> it's amazing what has happened as a result of me deciding to improve my life well and that is um oh, i i think part of the reason that it's gotten so big and so huge for you is because it's so so needed mm -hmm. which is why we wanted to start this podcast because it just needs money just needs to be talked about more and not not keep it so hush hush and not keep it some there's so much shame around it um so we love everything that you're doing over at my fab finance and helping millennials break the cycle and what are some of the most helpful ways that you have found for millennials to take a look at their spending um you know just really taking advantage of the banking your banking app and just mm -hmm. kind of going through and just looking at what you've been spending money on um so just really taking that moment and facing the music essentially and be like okay what have i spent my money on in the past mm -hmm. 24 hours what have i purchased what did i purchase this weekend and so forth because it can set you up for a rude awakening um, so that and then i know quite a few people in my circle love the clarity app because the clarity app um it tells you you know what your spending categories are and what oh. you're spending money on and so forth so i know quite a few people who love that app um Good. but yeah i i always have the, i have the saying your finances won't auto correct and mm -hmm. so it really is just going in and saying all right what are we doing here what have i been doing what do i need to change awesome yes, i love that well and i love that you you're the millennial you know money expert and um i think I, i'm curious do you see a shift or a difference between how millennials talk about money um is it more regular or do you feel like I, I don't know i feel like my parents generation they definitely it was more confidential they don't really ever talk about it ever so i i mean i definitely don't you know i don't steer away from that conversation i do like to talk about money but i mean i can't speak for every millennial so um i guess what is you your experience been with that absolutely not they do not talk about money in the way yeah. that they should mm -hmm. and um my, I was talking to my mom one time about her taxes and she was like, and her sister worked for um, a student loan agency. And it was around the time when I was getting my student loans together and so forth. And my mom was like, don't send her my tax information. I don't want her to know how much I make. And I was like, your mm -hmm. sister? <laughs> like what? Like, you know, it, it's crazy to me. Yeah. Um, and so absolutely i don't think that previous generations necessarily talked about money or at least not their money struggles they might mm -hmm. talk about it bragging mm -hmm. you know oh i've done this or we did this but not i have no idea what i'm doing with this or these student loans are choking me and i don't know how to proceed or this debt is giving me anxiety i definitely don't think that previous generations talked about it and um when i first started my fat finance i was like so you're gonna tell all your business like all of it <laughs> put that on the internet and um i i definitely think that i've taught her a thing or two by my transparency and essentially mm -hmm. creating a business and a life for my transparency but it's just i think it makes them uncomfortable mm -hmm. it makes it makes them uncomfortable i totally get that i mean it is it is uncomfortable it's just uh, it, especially at first 
Um, and that's why we wanted to start this podcast was to make it not uncomfortable, have the awkward conversations and make it to where it's not awkward if you have them enough, you know? So, um, we appreciate all that you're doing to help with that and your your transparency. That's huge. Every, every person that can come to this field and be transparent and talk about it is Mm -hmm. just helping everybody. Thank you so much. Uh, it's an honor. It really is. It really, really is an honor. And I'm thankful that I get to do it. So social media is a really big uh, part of the millennial generation. Do you feel that social media has made a huge impact on millennial spending? Absolutely. I think that quite a few people, you know, feel the need to keep up with the Joneses or um, Mm -hmm. like, you know, with people on their social media feed or buy things. I mean, even myself, I really have to ask myself questions when I'm thinking about spending. Like, Tanya, are you buying this for you or are you buying Mm -hmm. this because of social media? I mean, you know, I'm very transparent. So um, one of the things that I dealt with recently um, with me almost being triggered to buy something because of social media was I wanted a luxury handbag. So I had my most profitable year to date in business and my my biggest um, deal, brand deal to date. And I was like, you know, I'm celebrating by buying myself a bag. And um, my husband was like, we have other things we need to do. We don't have, (laughs) we we have. And I was like, but I want to buy a bag. (laughs) And in my head, I'm like, why do you want to? And I really had to drill down into my thought Mm -hmm. process about why I wanted to buy a bag. Um, and it was because, you know, like you just get used to seeing these influencers and these fashionable women with like their mm-hmm. Chanel bag or their YSL bag or, you know, so forth. So even me as a financial educator, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, you know, it could affect me too. So mm-hmm. if it affects me, then I know that it could affect others. And maybe it's not a handbag. Maybe it's a vacation. Maybe it's a renovation mm-hmm. on your home. Maybe it's the car you drive. Maybe it's an upgrade of your engagement or your wedding ring. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a hairstyle or, you know, like maybe it's something else, but it's something. We all have something um, mm-hmm. that social media has kind of encouraged us to spend more than we probably wouldn't normally spend on if we are on it. There's some people who aren't on it and good for them. Yeah. <laughs> Saving them hopefully a lot of money. <laughs> Did you end up buying the bag or no? No, I didn't. Um, just because I, um, I had a few more financial goals I wanted to accomplish. Um, you know, being an entrepreneur, you have a tax bill. So I said, okay, just make sure all your taxes are paid before you, you buy this. Um, and then my assistant, I love my assistant. Um, I have kind of a team that works for me. Um, at the same time that I was considering buying this bag, she presented me with a new work package because I've grown, she's grown, my needs have grown, her demands have grown. And so she tripled my monthly, um, my monthly costs. It's that's my handbag right there. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I didn't, but I also live by the belief not now doesn't mean not ever. And right. so it'll, I'll eventually get it. Um, mm-hmm. and I, because I don't believe in deprivation as a financial freedom strategy. That's not something we teach at my fab finance. It's called my mm-hmm. fab finance. Mm-hmm. We work hard and I do think that financial responsibility is a form of self-care, but I think it's also nice to do things for yourself. And like just last night, I, I, one thing I committed to doing for myself was a spa day once a month. And mm-hmm. I realized, okay, the end of October is coming. You haven't done a spa day. So yep. I went ahead and went on Groupon because they had an extra 30% off of spa services. And I bought myself a Groupon for a one hour massage yes. um, and saved 30% on it. So I got a really good deal. 
But in the same sense, like, I, rather than buying the bag, I was like, okay, let me do something else to take care of myself. That's a little mm-hmm. more financial responsible. Yeah. I love that. I'm actually getting a massage later today. So I totally feel that. I think it's so important to, I mean, know what you're spending money on and yeah, know how you can, you know, do little things here and there. I mean, I'm using a gift card that I got um, back in Christmas last year um, to, you know, treat myself. So um, I think it's so important to definitely, I like what you said about the deprivation, like don't, you know, deprive yourself of everything just because you're trying to like pay off debt or save money. But, you know, just know the little things that do make you happy and, and do those. Yeah. Cause then you'll act out. Then you'll yeah. act out. It's like being on a diet, you know, mm-hmm. you, you strain yourself from eating certain things and then you just act out. And next mm-hmm. thing you know, you're like, Whoa, how did this happen? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, that's, I, I, you know, and everything, my method doesn't work for everyone. Some people need to go just cold Turkey when it comes to their finances. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty. There's so many different financial educators and so many different approaches out there and so forth that if my method doesn't work for you, go to them. It's cool. As long as you're doing something about your money, I'm happy. Yeah. Well, and that's something that you talk about a lot on your um, platform. You know, we know that everyone is on their own financial journey. And I love that you talk about being your own hero. Um, And I, that's like one of my favorite things that you, you touch on because it's, it's so true. It's, I mean, you got to find what works best for you and, and go with it. So um, can you elaborate a little bit more on being your own hero and, and, and how you, you know, go with that? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's important, it's important to have other people that inspire you. But I I don't want to sound cynical when I say this, but I feel like other people can let you down. Mm -hmm. um, Just because they're humans. And Mm -hmm. when you invest too much in, in someone else without just understanding, you know, the risk and the caveats from, you know, believing in someone so strongly, uh, sometimes you can set yourself up for disappointment. But when you make it a point to be somewhat like to impress yourself and to be proud of yourself, and a sense you're always, it's almost like you're also only saying that my only competition is myself and that you're mm-hmm. not looking to um, measure up to someone else, but you're measuring up for yourself um, and becoming someone, you're pr- someone that you're proud of. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I mean by that. It's just like making sure that you're someone that you're proud of um, instead yeah. of looking to other people um, because I think other people can inspire us. There's no problem with that. But it's so possible to be your own hero and to be proud of yourself and your journey. The other night I was at a dinner and we all had to introduce ourselves. And one woman said, I'm really proud of the life that I've created for myself. And that's beautiful. That, that, that's beautiful in a sense. She is her own hero because she's proud of what she's accomplished. And um, there's no shame in that. And I think that we live in a society that kind of shames people for being, yeah. you know, they call it, they say, oh, be humble. It's like, no, acknowledge yeah. how far you've come. Acknowledge mm-hmm. what you've accomplished for yourself. Acknowledge where you are. Acknowledge the general cur- generational curses that you've broken. Mm-hmm. Acknowledge the statistics that you've defied. Like acknowledge all that you've done because we're amazing individuals capable of amazing things and we have to celebrate ourselves. Yeah. Well, and if you don't celebrate those wins, like who will, you know, I think it's so important to, to take on, you know, and, and like you said, just be proud of the things that you're doing because my people might not be realizing what you're doing. And then if you're constantly looking for others for that feedback or for that, you know, confidence that it's, you know, you have to be the one to, to feel that way. Absolutely. 
which speaking of accomplishments, you wrote a book, The Money Manual. Um, can you share with us a little about that journey and uh, what led you to write the book? What's some of the good nuggets that are in the book? Um, share a little bit with that. That's such a huge accomplishment. Yeah, I wrote the book, The Money Manual, because um, I, after being a financial educator for about five years, I just realized there were common questions that people asked, mm -hmm. and I didn't have the capacity to answer all their questions, or at least those beginner questions, and a lot of people struggle with where to start, mm -hmm. and so I wanted to write something that helped people figure out, okay, this is where I need to start, this is where I am on my journey. Um, and so it's the practical guide to helping you succeed on your financial journey, really just giving people the basic information they need um, in one place. Mm -hmm. And for you, the gems that people will find in there is, you know, savings. Um, one of the things that I was really intentional about was writing a book that served traditionally and untraditionally employed individuals. And so if you, you know, work a traditional job, then there are saving tips in there for you. If you are self-employed or a freelancer, there's mm -hmm. tips in there for you for people who make inconsistent income. Because that was a gap that I felt I was seeing in the space was just like, okay, but what if I don't have consistent income coming in every two weeks or a check mm -hmm. that I can depend on? So I think that's one of the most valuable things in the book that people will get out of it. Um, and plus it's, it's kind of, it's, it holds you accountable. I, I always say like, we don't, we operate on, with compassion, but we don't make excuses. And so Ooh, that's good in that. Yeah. It's in that vein where, you know, it is compassionate, but it's also holding you accountable for your financial decisions. Mm -hmm. Yes. You might've gone through a breakup and it was terrible and nobody wants to experience that, that level of pain. But in the same sense, it's irresponsible to allow that person to continue to dominate your life and let's get back on troll back on track financially. Mm -hmm. We can't continue to, you know, leave, make that create an excuse because of that. So, um, yeah, that's what they're going to find is compassion. Yeah. Accountability. Love that. That's so important too. <laughs> it, is, it is. And it's, it's a fine line. It's a fine line. Um, mm -hmm. saying, you know, we hear you, we understand what went wrong but we can't operate in that place forever. Yeah. Can't sit and eat ice cream and watch Netflix for the rest of your life. <laughs> no, maybe, maybe a night, yeah. you know, maybe for a few nights, maybe to get through your series. <laughs> we got to get up and go. We got to do something about it after that. <laughs> um, you talk also about ways to improve your credit without a credit card. Could you mention uh, a couple of those? Because I know a lot of people that's a real big focus right now is trying to get away from credit cards so that they don't rack up that credit card debt. But that's one of the things that's like, well, but I need to improve my credit score. Mm -hmm. So um, do you have a couple of tips for how we can improve our credit without a credit card? Um, yeah. So one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize is that um, there are tools now such as Self-Lender, which is a site where you can go basically take a micro loan or a small loan out and it's a credit builder loan. Um, you, you do have to put some money down towards it, but you basically take a loan out against your own money and then they use that and they pay the loan off with your money to help you build mm -hmm. your credit. And so there's thanks to technology, there are more tools like that. Uh, a lot of credit unions also offer credit builder loans or credit builder products. Some of them even have matches where you say you put $250, they'll give you a match of $250 towards creating a savings account that you can use to build your credit. 
Um, and then becoming an authorized user, that still is the method for improving your credit, but it does have to be a family member. You can't just find some random person on the internet with good credit and ask them to be added mm -hmm. to their account, but you can piggyback off of someone else's positive credit history. So those are things that you can do to get started to improve your credit to the point where you can get a credit card mm -hmm. um, and use that to continue to strengthen your credit journey. But then also understanding that it's not just about having credit cards because a, um, a good portion, I think it's 10 to 15% of your credit score is about your credit mix. And that's the type of credit that you use. So they like to see that you have revolving credit and installment credit. Credit cards are revolving, but installment would be a mortgage or a car payment or a student loan. That's something where the payment is the same each and every month um, mm -hmm. for a specific amount of time. So even if you have installment accounts, those are also beneficial in building your credit too. Awesome. Such good tips. Love that. Well, now that you have a little one, this is especially timeful, but uh, you talk about ways to teach your kids all about money. And I think that's so important. I've, I have a granddaughter that I'm, I have a granddaughter and a grandson that she's at that age where we made money and we set up a little store. And um, I love some of the ways that you talk about how you can teach your kids about money. Uh, do you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, I think that, you know, allowing children to be, um, to be present in the, in the process mm -hmm. when it comes to money. Um, my one thing, even though my parents, you know, were financially stable, my parents also definitely always included me in the process. So, mm -hmm. um, my mom had a budgeting book and she'd sit down and be like, Hey, I'm making the budget. This is what our household bills are. This is what our expenses are. This is why we need you to make sure that if you're going to go to basketball, if you're going to play basketball, that you're really going to play, um, because <laughs> it comes with money uh, compared to, you know, all of our other bills and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, you know, my parents did allow me to, you know, buy things they would take me to the store and buy things with my money once my money was out it's like okay your money's gone we, you know you have to figure out a way to make more you have to wait till it comes back around so they were really um helpful with that and i think that that's something that i i don't think that we teach children about money by not giving them access to it i think we learn by having access but another thing that i've learned along the way from other financial educators that inspire me um is teaching children to be solution oriented um, because I think a lot of what, you know, a lot of education or jobs are task based, but mm -hmm. a lot of the wealth comes from creating solutions, mm -hmm. um, whether, you know, through entrepreneurship or being that person at your job who can use thinks outside the box and can really push a company forward by innovating. And so encouraging mm -hmm. innovation over tasks. And so, you know, when, when we, when it comes to thinking about chores, I, my children's chores aren't going to be just like, let's, let's sweep the room. It's like, what's the most, in a, what's the most effective way? to yeah. clean up all these toys in the, in the quickest amount of time or what, you know, giving them projects to do instead mm -hmm. of just tasks, because I think that encourages them to think differently um, than I was taught to think. Um, so that's something that I, will, I will reward solutions and not necessarily just tasks, but then also requiring them to work. Mm -hmm. um, growing up, I worked. Uh, and uh, as a result of that, even no matter how much financial trouble I was in, my bills were always paid. Mm -hmm. because my parents taught me the value of paying my bills at an early age. And even though my parents could pay for everything, when I was in high school, I had a job and I was telling my husband, we were talking about our money 
history. And I was telling him that even though, you know, my parents did really well, I still had a job. I was required to budget for my lunches. So I paid for my own lunch. When it came time to apply for um, college, I paid for my own, my college applications and so forth. When it came to prom, I had to budget out for my hair and my makeup and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so that helped me um, as an adult, because no matter what I always made sure my financial responsibilities were met before anything else. So maybe I didn't have room for other things and maybe I didn't have room to pay my credit cards, but my rent was paid and I, you know, I could get back and forth to work. And so it's, you know, it's also understanding that um, just teaching them a certain level of financial responsibility and balance mm -hmm. and um, at an early age. That is awesome. So important. It sounds like your parents did a good job. <laughs> they, they did a, you know, they, especially given where they came from, they, mm -hmm. they did, you know, I think that's one of the things now that I'm a parent, I'm learning is like, we do the best of what we have. Yeah. Um, and based on where they came from, they, they did an exceptional job with my sister and I. Yeah, that's awesome. And then you're only, you know, moving the needle further with your, you know, your kids. So it's just going to be like a constant domino effect. You, like by the time your grandkids roll around, they're going to be like, mm, roll it I in don't it. Know. Yeah. Roll in the <laughs> dough. Just That's the most the goal. expert. Yeah. That's the goal. They'll be like, my grandma set this up. Yes. Yeah. That's the goal. <laughs> that, I did that. <laughs> so important. And with working with millennials, what have you found... I guess like what have you found that they spend the most money on or is or where is most of their debt coming from is it more of like student loans or do you like do you see a recurring theme with millennials I mean yeah student loans is mm -hmm. it's unfortunate student loans are a big issue for a lot of people yeah um it's very rare that I meet someone and be like oh I don't have any student loans that's the minority mm -hmm. usually so yeah student loans um definitely um there's some credit card debt there. Typically there, there's some credit card debt, but usually it's overwhelmingly it's student loans mm -hmm. um, followed by credit card debt, followed, yeah. fo followed by that. Um, but I'm curious, like, you know, as far as what you guys see, are you, or the, you know, the questions or when you're hearing from listeners mm -hmm. and so forth, what um, kind of debts are they dealing with? Definitely a lot of student loan, um, and then, but then credit cards too. Um, it's definitely that mix. Yeah. And um, it's, I can't seem to keep hearing that. I think one thing in also even just reading comments on other people's um, pages, it's not feeling like they're just never going to be able to catch up or get ahead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a fear. And a lot of times I ask people what their biggest financial fear is and, um, I just did a retreat in Miami last month and I asked mm -hmm. people to share that. And mm -hmm. a lot of people was like never getting ahead financially, mm -hmm. um, not crawling out of debt, like not being able to retire and so forth. So the financial fears across, um, across age groups, mm -hmm. across ethnicities, across genders mm -hmm. are pretty similar. It is like not being able to crawl out of that debt hole and not being able to get ahead so that they can financially flourish and really put their money in places that push them forward. Yeah. Do you have some tactical advice to help them go about doing that? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to debt, you know, the good thing, the thing to um, understand is that even though student loans, that balance is high, student loans are probably your most affordable debt that you would have because the interest rates generally are pretty low. And so I would say tackle that consumer debt, those credit cards, the, the debt that has double digit interest rates mm -hmm. first, 
and then we'll focus on the student loan. So if you have to yeah. think about what to do first, do tackle that really expensive debt that just is going to um, compound negatively for you and then affect your, your net worth negatively mm-hmm. first. And then we'll turn around and we'll focus on, on your student loans. But in the meantime, don't ignore them. Keep up communication with your student loans. Um, recently, I, you know, I paid off one of my student loans, my private student loan. I paid that off last mm-hmm. year. I paid off all my credit card debt, which is about $30,000 worth of credit card debt. And so now I'm focusing on um, getting aggressive with my student loans. And I mm-hmm. called them the other day. And one of the things I realized is like the payment plan that they suggested to me um, and the IBR plan was actually higher than me going on another payment plan. And my what I like to do with my finances is I go on the most affordable payment plan option for me and then just pay more, mm-hmm. um, especially as an entrepreneur. You just never know how each month is going to be. So I'll say, okay, I'll put me on a payment plan for 500, but my goal is to pay a thousand dollars a month mentally. That's, that's Mm -hmm. what I'm planning to pay. Or, you know, if I have it, I'll pay $5,000 in a month, depending on what, what's coming in. But my minimum is 500 so that I don't have to worry about missing a payment. Mm -hmm. And so I do suggest that for people. Sometimes, you know, you call and you're like, okay, well, what do I need to do to pay this off in 10 years? And you get on this expensive payment plan that you're stressing to make when it's Mm -hmm. get on the minimum because nothing's stopping you from paying as much as you can when you have it. Yeah. That is so good. (laughs) Pay what you can when you can. Yeah. Yeah. You almost have to have to play like little mind games with yourself too. I mean, it's just like, I don't know. Is it possible to increase the minimum like that you pay every month with your bank or how does that? um, Um, well, as, a, as with a credit card, I don't know. You know, that is yeah. basically dependent on your usage and so forth. Mm-hmm. But I just, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter what the minimum is. I have my own mental minimum. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. it's important to set your mental minimums in general. Mm-hmm. So I have a mental minimum for my bank account. It's not mm-hmm. zero. <laughs> my mental minimum is, you know, when it, when I'm uncomfortable after it gets to a certain amount. And that's, yeah. that's my zero. Mm-hmm. So it's redefining what your minimum is for yourself, whether it is your bank account balance or your, your minimums that you're willing to pay to dig yourself out of debt. So mm-hmm. yeah, your minimum when you get that account statement might be $85, but your mental minimum might be $250 a month. Yeah. So set it for yourself. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also so important to almost like uh, kind of going back to we're talking about like teaching kids about money and all of that. Then when they go into like high school and they start thinking about different colleges, I I feel like there's such a stigma, you know, and going to some Ivy League crazy expensive college and I don't know. I mean, I just, I see how much my friends are struggling right now as that, you know, it's been like three years since they've graduated and they're still like struggling to find, you know, their dream job. I just feel like there's such a like, okay, you know, in life, you're going to go to college. You're going to then, you know, get a great job right after you're going to pay off your student loans super fast. You're living a lie. I don't know. I feel like going through these, you know, motions and then you graduate and you're, and then you're just kind of left to make all these decisions on your own. And I think that's where a lot of the mistakes are made is, you know, they're like, oh crap, like I need to find a job. And then I don't know. And then if it's not a job that pays them enough to start paying off their student loans, then, you know, they get into more and more debt. So it's almost like starting them in high school and like kind of, you know, giving them that harsh reality where like, okay, even just because you go to Harvard doesn't mean you're come out with like some, you know, crazy expensive high paying job. job. Yeah. So, um, 
you know, and I think and like the responsibility of the media too yes. is like, you know, a lot of times when we hear these success stories, you hear like, oh, they went to this Ivy League university or mm-hmm. they're a Rhodes Scholar or they graduated from Dartmouth or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Um, I had an awakening um, with one of my first jobs. I didn't go to Ivy League school. I went to Florida International University in, mm-hmm. in Miami, Florida. And um, one of my first jobs out of college I remember I was looking at the recruiters. Um, I kind of was like peeking over to see who the other candidates they had. And one person had graduated from Georgetown University. And I was like, oh gosh, I'm not going to get this job. Like they went to Georgetown. I went to mm-hmm. FIU. Like my school is a good school, but it wasn't Georgetown. Yeah. And I ended up getting the job. And that for me, it was like, it, it was, it's not just about where you go. It's about mm-hmm. your social skills. It's about yes. your work ethic. It's about your drive. It's about your resilience because you mm-hmm. will have people tell you no. And like, how do you proceed after that? There's so many other things that are um, determining factors of success other than just education. And a lot of times when we think about these educational opportunities are going to Ivy League school. It's not necessarily the quality of the education. It's the access mm-hmm. to the network. Yes. If you're not capitalizing on that network or you're introverted or so forth, then it doesn't make financial sense for you because yeah. you're not taking advantage of the benefit of going to that institution. And so, um, I mean, even my sister, my sister went to Georgetown. Um, <laughs> and like, we, I make more than her. You know, I've been working a little longer than her and so forth, but you know, it, and she's in a job and now she's looking to become an entrepreneur, not mm-hmm. in anything she studied at Georgetown, yeah. but her student loan debt from going to Georgetown is almost six figures. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, we just really, I, I think it's over the coming years, I think the next generation, I think our generation, millennials were the first generation where college is widely acceptable, accessible for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we took advantage of that and we saw that it's not the answer that we thought it was. Yeah. And so I think the generations to come are going to be challenging that and looking for other ways to be successful in lieu of attending college. There's a lot more people talking about trade schools and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the benefits of going, people who have trades are always going to have jobs. Those blue collar jobs that a lot of us shied away from yeah. for white collar opportunities. And so I'm excited about that and thinking about it when it comes to my son. We have a 529 plan for him. But I'm also like, if he doesn't want to go to college and, you know, we'll take the penalties. But if he wants to take this out and buy a home with them and, you know, put a down payment on the home with the money and do something else and become an entrepreneur or start his business with the money or buy a franchise with the money, you know, like it's there for him. So I think it's important for our generation to become be more flexible about what our children's opportunities are, because college isn't always the answer. Yeah. I love that. And for those who don't know, um, can you explain what a 529 plan is? Yeah, it's it's funny funny because the very first interview that I did um, in finance, someone was up there and she's like, I'm thinking about 529s. I was like, what is a 529 in my head? (laughs) So, and she was a mom. She was a mom. She's like, can you think about 401ks? I'm thinking about 529s. So it's a 529. But a 529 is a a college savings plan um, that has some initial tax benefits, um, especially if they do use it for college. So you can start it as soon as a child has a social security number. And you can start mm-hmm. putting money aside and the money can grow. Um, it is somewhat like, an, it, you know, it is investment. So it can gain interest or it can lose, lose value. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it essentially is a tax beneficial college savings plan to help you plan 
for your child's college cost. Um, and I was looking, uh, I was doing a little research on it the other, a few days ago. And um, based on, if I wanted my son to have a hundred thousand dollars in his um, 529 plans, and I need to contribute about $5,000 each year mm-hmm. up until he's 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that just gives you an wow. idea of, yeah. you know, how much it costs. If you want him that 50,000 and 2,500. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that gives you a, a general idea of, you know, how much you need to put aside and how it can grow for them. Yeah. But my goal is for him. To, I, I had a good friend of mine and we were talking and I was interviewing her and she got scholarships for college, but her grandfather had put money aside in savings bonds and so forth. And so she was able to purchase a condo when she graduated from college because she cashed her grandfather's savings bonds that he had put aside from her Mm -hmm. while everyone else is, you know, going to apartments and so forth. She Mm -hmm. purchased an apartment, a condo. So Mm -hmm. it's just thinking about what are ways that I can set him up to do things that other, other people won't be able to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. So inspiring. (laughs) I love how you talk about, um, a lot of people feel like their money issues are the problems if we're not having enough of them of money, but more often than not, the trouble isn't with your budget. It's with your mindset. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Sometimes it's with your, but your mindset, sometimes it's with your income that you're earning. Um, I think that people try to simplify money issues and say, Oh, you're, you're misallocating your funds, but sometimes what's the root to work behind that misallocation of funds? Um, is it seeking validation through your spending? Is it um, seeking acceptance through your material, your material items, or is it using money or shopping as a form of therapy to deal with issues that you haven't dealt with? So for some people, it is mindset. It is just dealing with the emotional um, issues that cause them to overspend or cause them to buy things. And then for some people, it's a matter of you just don't earn enough. Like there were times in my career where I just did not earn enough to achieve my financial goals, which meant that I had to take on side jobs or, you know, advocate for a raise for myself and so forth so I could achieve my financial goals. But I I think it's unfair to tell people that they're not doing the right things with their money when they're just not making enough. There's no reason anyone, I live in Los Angeles and there's no reason that anyone, it should be legal or ethical for anyone to make under $40,000 in this city because it's just so expensive. Mm -hmm. And, but there are people who do it every single day Mm -hmm. and that's not their financial behaviors necessarily. That is a matter of their their income. Um, and I mean, I'm sure they could, you know, be a little more frugal with their spending and so forth. But we also know um, from research that the psychology of poverty is is a pervasive one, and um, it can lead to depression, which which causes you to act against your own mm-hmm. your best interest going forward. And so there's it's just so much more nuanced than you don't have a budget or you don't properly do this. It's so yeah. much more nuanced than I think they like us to believe. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the things also talking about that in mindset, uh, I loved one of your Instagram posts. In fact, I think we shared it on our highlights or on our stories. You said people are getting paid to do what they love every single day. And it starts with a decision and a belief that you can too. Yeah. And that is so true and so important. You have to believe that you can. That was honestly, I mean, that was even for myself. That was the belief because um, mm-hmm. the nonprofit job I have, I remember um, the my boss telling me that 
basically what she was giving me was as good as it was going to get. And I needed to be grateful for what she was, the salary she was giving me and the benefits and so forth. And I just refused to believe that. And mm-hmm. then I went on vacation and I was like, wait a minute, people get paid to, tra- paid to travel the world and I'm going to figure out how to do this too. And it was the belief that I could too. And if that was the, that was what changed everything. Mm-hmm. And when I, a lot of times when I tweet things, it's just because I know from experience, I've been that person. I've been that person sitting at my desk, looking on my feet, looking at other people live their lives and get paid to do things they love. I'm like, you know what? I have to figure out how to get paid to do what I love. And mm-hmm. I know that I can. And now I do. So it does, it starts, I, I live by the belief everything begins with intention. And when you set your yeah. intentions, um, and then you follow up on your intentions, you can create the life that you desire. Yep. I completely uh, agree. I think, I mean, that's for me, like starting my business, I, that was the one thing that I really needed to believe in myself in order to, you know, be successful and find the income or get the income. Um, like I used to never tell anyone I was a photographer. I was like, I would, t- you know, be like, oh yeah, like I do family photos or, oh yeah, I do stand, you know, and I, but I would never take that role because I was mm-hmm. so afraid of, I did, cause I didn't believe it. And I was so afraid of what other people would think. And the second I just took that step and was like, no, I am like, I have, you know, I'm doing all the right things. And it actually took me to, um, you know, do a mentoring session with another photographer to realize, wow, I'm doing everything she's doing. Like, you know, just because she has like thousands of more followers that I do, um, doesn't mean that we're, I'm not doing, you know, we're doing the same. I just needed that extra like confidence to be like, oh, well, you know, like she, you know, if she's doing it just how I'm doing it. Like then I've been doing this for a long time, you know, like I've been a photographer for a long time. So I, I think mindset is definitely probably the first step. I mean, I would take to getting, making better money decisions and all of that. Yeah, I it's 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 so I think it's overlooked. Like I said, we aren't people with like the the technical skills for things, mm-hmm. but we don't think about the other skills involved. And even as an entrepreneur, I remember the first day I um I I woke up and I was like, okay, I work for myself. Yeah. And I was overcome with anxiety and realized, yeah. like, all right, we need to figure out a different way to to approach this and mindset wise. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a mental marathon operating mm-hmm. a business. Life is a mental marathon, but operating a business because you have so many highs and lows and you can be your own cheerleader at times. And you really have yeah. to lean into faith at times and you have to quiet the noise when it comes to other, other people in your industry and thinking that you're not doing enough because they're succeeding. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it really is a mental marathon, but it does it's mindset and it requires a lot of mindset work. And I think that that's one of, I think, you know, we look at these business plan competitions and everything and they'll, they'll teach you how to create a marketing plan and they'll teach you how to do financial projections. But what about the mental work that's required mm-hmm. to operate a business? They need components on that because it's so important and you're not going to sell properly if you don't have the right mindset you're not going to lead properly if you don't have the right mindset you might not even brainstorm properly mm-hmm. if you don't have the right mindset because so it just affects so many components of business in our lives and our finances yeah. and i'm happy you guys asked me that question because i think it's underrated yeah well and one of the things that you point out is um the you talk about the just mindset and you talk about how it's not just $100 saved, it's $100 cl- 
closer to your goal mm -hmm. and downplay the accomplishment, um, you know, it, it, that's not serving anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that I think, and that's part of our society too. It's like, you know, be humble. Oh, she's bragging. No, celebrate yourself. Stop belittling the things that you do. Stop minimizing your accomplishments because mm -hmm. it's something you're doing something better than you did for yourself yesterday. You're being better than you were yesterday. So stop minimizing that change that you created and that step you've taken towards a new habit. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, so good. So good, Tanya. <laughs> I could talk to you all day. <laughs> but we should wrap things up. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. I know I have another podcast interview today, but yes. that's just part of my structure. Yes. Um, we that, saw like, on your post, you have like, um, you've scheduled out your days. You know, yeah. to, yes. That's so yep, important. Tuesdays are interview call days. So Okay. All right, Tanya. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. And um, we always like to wrap up uh, with two questions we ask every guest. The first question is, what is your definition of success? Um, my definition of success for me is living life on my terms and being, um, being proud of what I've created and how I've created it. For me, that's, that's my definition of success. Love that. And then also, what are the three words that come come to mind when you think about money? Mm. Freedom, fun, responsibility. Yes. Ooh, so such a good mix. Such a good balance. That's perfect. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Those are the first ones that came to mind. <laughs> well, now where all can we find you? We want to be able to, uh, for our listeners to find you and to learn more from you on an ongoing basis. So if you could share with us all of the good all the good places to find you. Yeah, uh, I'm uniformly branded as MyFab Finance on all social media platforms. So that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's at MyFab, F-A-B is in boy, finance. Um, and then also if you enjoy my approach and my education, like the way I approach personal finance, we do have our Blue Ribbon Club, which is our structured accountability program to help people break the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck. So you can find out more about that at MyFabFinance.com backslash brc awesome. awesome thank you and you have helped so many people save so much money through that program so yeah thank and you. i'm looking forward to more i'm looking forward to more we have some exciting initiatives next year we're doing a 529 initiative to help people open up 529 plans so oh, awesome. i'm really excited about the work that we're doing and i'm really proud of it um i'm really proud of you it it's, a lot, it's taking a lot of focus uh, I'm not always the most focused individual, but I really um, sat down and asked myself, how can I really serve my audience and create change in people's lives? So Blue Ribbon Club is is wonderful. And really, if you're tired of living um, in the paycheck to paycheck cycle, we have created a roadmap to help you figure out what are the steps that you need? What does it look like to say, I've finally broken the cycle and how do we help you get there? That is awesome. Thank you awesome. so much. We definitely can see why you were named the new face of wealth building by Black Enterprises Magazine and selected as a modern history maker by TV One. You definitely are helping change people's lives. And we thank you for that and for sharing your time with us today. Thank you so much, ladies. You're amazing. Thank you. Okay, you all know the drill. Please go give us a five-star rating and leave us a review and might as well hit that subscribe button while you're there. And let's keep the conversation going on Instagram. Share your favorite part from this week's show. And we'll see you next Money Monday. Bye. Bye.